be bad. But anyways, so we're going to continue on uh, in the book of Acts. And the sermon series, I didn't make any fancy artwork because I didn't have time to do it. But it's called, Yet Here We Are. And it's just kind of walking through like what happens when the, the apostles face opposition. And yet here we are today still proclaiming the good news of Christ. So um, just a few initial thoughts. Uh, you know, it's just like lately how God is in my sermon preparation. I've kind of had a different approach to it, and I feel like I've made some progress in doing this thing that uh, is called preaching, and I just feel like I've grown in it, and I've recently, like, made some adjustments in the way that I'm eating, and I read about, like, how it can affect your cognitive thinking and stuff like that. I was like, that's crazy talk. I, like, the what I eat isn't going to affect, but, like, now I feel like uh, it, 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 like has helped me tremendously and I'm just blown away by like how God is like showing me like hey what you put into your body really does affect you and so I feel like I can think a little more clearly now and just I feel like I'm thinking like deeply about things where most of the time I kind of consider myself just like a like a dirt to dirt and don't really think through things so uh, it's just amazing what, what God has done through that and uh, you know <laughs> Last week, I said something about my wife, and I just want you guys to know I wasn't fishing for compliments. <laughs> but I had a lot of people come up and tell me, like, hey, you did a good, great, great job. But I just really wanted to, like, let you guys all know, like, what an awesome, like, godly woman I think my wife is. And, and like, I just thought she thinks she's naturally gifted at this. So um, let's pray. And then, again, we're going to stand as we read God's word. Father God, thank you for today and just this opportunity to be up here and sharing in your word, God. As we read about what the apostles went through through this sermon series, God, that we would just look to you, God, we would trust in you, and we would follow your lead and your example, God. And I say these things in Jesus' name. So we're going to, this, this book of Acts study isn't going to be so much like we did in James where we, we walked along every, every verse, every uh, chapter that way. But it's gonna, we're kind of going to jump around as that theme of just, yet yeah, here we are when they faced opposition. So we're going to jump ahead to Acts chapter 2. Well, I am going to talk about what uh, happened kind of in the in-between. We're going to jump ahead and we're going to read Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. So if you guys will open up your Bibles, let's stand as we read God's word together. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, or you can follow along up here. I don't know if I like this thing being right front and center. There we go. All right. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost... When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because they, each one of, was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from both from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab, Ar Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. This is God's word. 
So go ahead and have a seat. And as we dive into, I say dive a lot when I preach. I'm sorry. But <laughs> as we dive into God's word, we're going to first take a look at the day of Pentecost. What is it? When is it? Why is it important? And first we're going to start uh, in dissecting what Pentecost is. We're going to start with Jesus. So Jesus was crucified during the Passover. He ascended 40 days after Passover, and Pentecost is held 50 days after the Passover festival. So this happens 10 days after Jesus left. Okay, so now what is it? It's one of three festivals that we read about uh, in Deuteronomy 16.16. God says that these, there's these three festivals that must be celebrated every year. The first one is the Festival of Unleavened Bread. The second one is the Festival of the Harvest, a.k.a. Pentecost, and the Festival of Shelter. So now I'm going to break down what each of these festivals is, and, and it's going to kind of come all together at the end, hopefully, and you guys see what I'm trying to say. If not, I failed today. I'm sorry. So the festivals, the first one, the uh, Festival of Unleavened Bread, it's, it was a time for Israel to remember their escape from Egypt. And they would eat during this festival of unleavened bread. For seven days straight, they would eat unleavened bread. And it's, unleavened bread is, is different and unique. It illustrates God's holiness and kind of being set apart by God. And yeast is often used as leaven, you know, as the leavening agent in bread. And it's used to represent sin in the Bible. So yeastless bread points to like Israel's holiness, how they were set apart. God chose them. And, and then the unleavened bread didn't take long to make, so it was kind of a, a symbol of to obey quickly, and when it was time to go on the night of Passover, it was time to go. So now, uh, the festival of harvest, which is the Pentecost, and as I read in my study Bible, uh, you know, each of these little festivals had like tons of stuff to say about each, or you know, tons of notes to say about each festival, and I get to the festival of harvest, which is Pentecost, and all it says in my, in my notes in my study Bible, the big harvest. I'm like, oh, crap. Now what? So uh, I'm trying to figure out what this, why, why this festival of harvest is so important and why the Pentecost was so important. And basically it just says it was, a, 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 you know, kind of what I gathered in reading about what the festival of harvest was, was a time of Thanksgiving, a time to get together and celebrate. And the word Pentecost literally means 50. So... It was called the Festival of Harvest in the New Testament. They refer to it as Pentecost. So it literally means 50 days. It was 50 days after Jesus' ascension. So not much about the big harvest. We just know it was a big harvest. Uh, the Festival of Shelter. This was, kinda, this was a celebration for the whole family. It was a reminder of God's nature and what he had done for the Israelites in the wilderness. A time for them to renew their commitment to God and trust in his guidance and protection. So they would get together. I, I would, like, if I look at this, when I think of this one, it, it kind of reminds me of what, like, Thanksgiving sounds like now, where we get together and celebrate as families, and everybody comes together, and just remember what we're thankful for. Like, this is them remembering their commitment to God and, and trusting in his guidance and pr protection. So now the big question we have here on the day of Pentecost and why all this tongues of fire business happened is why did God choose that day? Why did God choose the day of Pentecost? So from where we left off last week on the promise and the purpose, I'm going to walk through kind of the in-between. Actually, no. I'm going to talk about what's going on that day. I jumped ahead of myself. So what was happening on that day? 
So as, as, as people are coming into the city, I imagined while I was sitting there, like, what compares to this? What would even compare to, like, what the ha- is happening in this city? And, and I kind of thought of, like, what the arts festival looks like, where there's booths set up, there's people there uh, selling things, there's people there coming to look at the artwork. I imagined something along the lines of, of a festival like that, where people just from all over the place are kind of gathering in town, coming to, to, come to celebrate the festival of harvest. So all these people get there, and, and we're going to still get to the why of Pentecost that day. Now I'm going to paint the picture of what's happened in between up to this point. I don't want to leave, I, I don't want to try and leave anything out of the book of Acts study, so I'm going to kind of give you a brief summary of what happened in the in-between from where we left off last week of the promise and the purpose to where we are today. So then when they left, uh, after Jesus' ascension, they went back to, the disciples went back to Jerusalem, and they, God says there were 120 of them gathering together and praying. And we have our first, like, church business meeting, what we call, like, our governing board meeting. We have our first church business meeting where they're trying to decide who should replace Judas. Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus, and so now they're trying to decide that, that what's going to happen and who's going to replace him. So the, the, the disciples hold their first governing board church business type meeting and they go from there and what they do is they spend time in prayer and they roll dice to decide who replaces the, uh, the apostle or disciple Judas. And they roll dice to do that. And I was thinking of this. I'm like, man, what if, we, what if that's how we chose our leaders here today still? Like imagine getting Chris and like Mike and some of the other men of the church and like, hmm, who's going to be a pastor here? And just rolling the dice. I'm like, boom, that's it. You're the one, Mike. Sorry. You got no saying it. It's God's will. We rolled the dice. That's what they said. So uh, just kind of funny to see how they did that. Um, But so from here, we see that the disciples go from kind of students and learners of Jesus to these messengers and missionaries of Jesus. And the, the, the Bible calls them the apostles. And Acts 1, 21 through 24 says, It is therefore necessary that the men, that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that Lord Jesus that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us in his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Yes, okay, sorry. Matthias. And so we get, um, and well, let's go First Corinthians 9, 1, so I can t- tell you what I'm talking about here. Am I not free? Am I not an impossible? Apostle, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And in the context of the Bible, the, the apostle was somebody that was actually like physically there and seen Jesus and, and witnessed the things that he was doing as he was walking and talking on earth as fully God and fully man. So they chose this Matthias because he was there from the get-go. <coughs> ah, man. See, I got my voice back a little bit better. But now, 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 so the day has finally come, 10 days later, when the apostles are handling their church business, and I was thinking about, like, man, could you imagine sitting there when, when Jesus ascends into heaven, he's like, the Holy Spirit's coming. You guys, like, be ready for it. The angels tell him, like, quit standing in awe, like, the Holy Spirit's coming. And then for 10 days, they got to sit there and wait. For 10 days, they're like, could you imagine, like, every little thing that happens, they're like, oh, what? was that it? Did you guys feel that? What was that? And so they're, they're kind of waiting uh, for, for uh, the Holy Spirit to come. And, and so now they're all, they're all gathered into one place, and they're here. And, and 
as they're in this upper room, 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, um, they're sitting there and the sound of a great rush, of a rushing wind comes in. And as I was, I was sitting in bed one night, I was thinking about this big rushing wind and I, I thought of what happened last week when the Red Sea was parted. Does anybody remember? There was a great wind that came. I'm like, oh man, that's so cool. Like, it doesn't say that that was the Holy Spirit there parting the waters, but like my imagination went wild. And I'm like, man, like here's where a great rushing wind comes in and the Holy Spirit shows up. There was a great rushing wind. So I, I don't know, it doesn't fully say that that was, but I just thought it was cool and I geeked out a little bit on it. So this great rushing wind comes in and it says everyone there was filled with the Holy Spirit beginning, began to speak in all other languages. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come just as promised. Ten days later, in this illustration, these little tongues of fire, like I remember watching a kid's video and it shows like these tongues of fire like bouncing in, like coming into to, to set upon the, the, the apostles. And these tongues of fire come in. And one question I asked myself as I was sitting here, you know, or as I was studying it, was like, why tongues of fire? Why is this how God chose to come bring the Holy Spirit upon his people? So, you know, now, and I, I was like, okay, let's take the first part, the tongue. Why the tongue? You know, it's, it's what gives us the ability to talk, to communicate, uh, and, and do those sorts of things. And, and then why the fire? So fire, like where, where and when do we see fire throughout the Bible? The burning bush, yes. Is God present there? Yes. And you took my first bullet point, Chris. <laughs> Still in my thunder, bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But, but the burning bush, God speaks to Moses. And then as the Israelites are wandering, they're led by a pillar of fire. And then the, the one that I'm going to kind of break down a little bit more is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Now, if you don't know this story, Elijah tells the people to follow Yahweh, the God of, uh, the, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, or follow Baal. Stop being so wishy-washy. Like, here's Here's the one true God, or you can continue like trying to follow this Baal character. It's time to, to, to get off the fence. Uh, and, and sorry, something came to my mind, but I can't say it in church from the appropriate. But you know, basically, get off the pot. <laughs> so, uh, so he tells them, like, stop it. And he takes on these 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, we're going to sacrifice some bulls. I'm going to call on God. You're going to call on Baal. And we're going to see who brings down fire. So he says, hey, you know what? You guys go first. So they get up there and they're doing their whole thing. And the 450 men are dancing around, singing. And they're calling on Baal. And there's no answer. And his voicemail is full. Nobody's there. Sorry, this, this, this uh, user has not been set up with a voice mailbox yet. Please try again later. So, you know, the voicemail is not there. Nobody's answering. And Elijah begins to mock the 450. He's telling him, I love this part, cry louder. Maybe he's musing. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he went on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping. So he's kind of crying, like teasing these guys. Like, come on, let's go, let's go. So the prophets cry out louder and they begin cutting themselves and doing all this crazy stuff. Still, there is no answer. And so now, now it's Elijah's turn and some time has passed and it's, it's in the afternoon and he tells them, like, let's get these bulls ready. 
Here's what I'm going to do. You guys are going to, we're going to get these all butchered up. I'm going to build an altar of 12 stones. We're going to lay them all on the altar. And then here's the best part. You're going to get four jars of water and you're going to pour it all over the bull and all the altar, and on the altar. So they do that and he's like, hmm, something's missing. Oh wait, four more jars. So he tells them to get four more jars of water to cover up the bull and the altar. And then the very next thing he does he prays. He doesn't, doesn't put on a spectacle. He doesn't try and put on a show. He prays. And in and, and short, in summary of what he says in that prayer, he says, you're God. I'm your servant. And by you doing this, it's going to show the people that you are God and their hearts are going to be turned. So he prays this prayer and fire, fire fell down. The Bible says that it licked up every last bit of water. And God answered and made his, his presence known. He answered and made his presence known. The people turned their hearts back to God. And now we're going to go back to the tongues of fire. And this isn't the first time that God has used fire to get his point across. We just saw in Elijah what he did to get his point across. So he uses his tongues of fire and they all begin speaking in tongues and speaking in all their own languages. And it says here that they came together, all the people there. So like imagine all these people arts festival and we all start babbling on, and all these people come together, and they're amazed. And now I was trying to get a, a good count on how many people might have been there that day, and what I counted was there was like 15 different regions or countries that they were from. I tried to look up and Google how many languages might have been spoken that day. I don't know if you have any insight on it, but it doesn't say, but there was a lot of language, different languages spoke that day, and they were hearing in their own native tongue. And the mighty works of God were proclaimed. And they were amazed. They were perplexed. And they wanted answers. So today's sermon is the first sign of opposition. They wanted answers. And the first thing that comes, you know, one of the the first things that comes out of their mouth was, They're drunk! They're drunk! Can you hear them? They're drunk! And rather than cowering down in fear, they could have backed down and they could have stopped doing what they were doing. Yet here we are because they didn't to, to, like, subside to that pressures of the crowd. They didn't back down because of this truth that we read in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. They were free from all those fears of, of the crowd. They didn't have to trust and rely on their own strength because they had the strength of God through the Holy Spirit. And at the first sign of opposition, Peter has an awesome response. Peter stands up above the crowd, and I like first off, he addresses like, they proclaim, you're drunk! And he says, first off, it's too early to be drunk. Like, not like, no, they're not drunk. Come on, what's wrong? We don't drink. No, it's too early to be drunk. It's only the third hour, and, and one of my Bibles says it's about 9 o'clock, so it was early in the morning. I don't know if you guys have been camping, but whenever I go camping, sometimes I crack a beer open at like 9 o'clock in the morning, I'll admit it. But I don't go on drinking throughout the day. It's just like, man, I don't know why, but a beer sounds good with breakfast. But uh, anyways, uh, he goes on and says, you know, it's only the third hour. 
Like they're not drunk. And he proclaims, God said that this would happen. And he starts quoting scripture and he proclaims, Jesus, the one who you crucified. And he quotes scripture to, who, to say who Jesus was, that he was God. And he tells them, repent, be baptized, and you will receive this gift as well. The Holy Spirit is available to everyone who does those things. Trust in Jesus, repent, be baptized, and the Holy Spirit is available to you. So now why, we're going to talk about why did this happen on the day of Pentecost? Because we haven't got to the end of what happens when Peter gets up and proclaims this message, and we're going to get there. and said, so why did this happen on the day of Pentecost? You remember that this is the festival of the harvest. And what happened that day was a big harvest. And it was, as I was reading and, and studying this and it hit me, it was like, holy cow, that is so cool that God already had this festival planned in mind and he's telling them to celebrate it every day or every year. And when it comes to the day of Pentecost, this big harvest happens. In Acts 2, verse 41, at the end, after he does his thing, it says, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That was the day of the big harvest and 3,000 people were got added to God's family today. So now back to the opposition. What do we do in the face of opposition? It's no different. We're going to face opposition. You guys raise your hands if you want, but who here has faced opposition before who here has been in that fear and, and and faced those oppositions you know there's broken families there's there's lost relationships those things all come in, in from from the opposition and there's being mocked or made fun of for our faith and those are kind of some outwardly things that happen and i think about the internal opposition that, that happens you know I asked you guys to share some stories from Facebook and we got some great stories if you guys didn't get a chance to get on and read some of those. But we're all kind of fighting the same battles. You know, I read about anxiety. I read about doubt. I, feel, I read about some, you know, people, someone not feeling like they deserved love, that they were not, allowed, they were not good enough. People indulging in their own desires, which mine, what I'm guilty of, uh, my desires were porn, sex, drugs, and alcohol. So people indulging all those things. And I don't know, like, as I read all these things, it was, it was encouraging to see that, like, I'm not alone in this fight. I'm not alone in this battle. And that people go through, you know, a lot of the same things. So what do we do in the face of opposition? Well, let's retrace what Elijah did. He prayed, God, you are God. You're the one. I'm your servant, and what you do is also that people may know you. And then we look at Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaims, Jesus is God. Repent, follow Jesus, and this promised Holy Spirit is yours. He takes the opposition head on, and then we're going to look at Jesus and how he took the opposition to his death. In the garden, garden, man, I struggle with the word, 
when Jesus goes to the garden, I'm not even going to attempt to say it. He goes to the garden and he prays and he says, ask the Father to take this, but not my will, but yours be done. So he takes the opposition head on and he doesn't, he, he doesn't uh, want to do it, but ultimately he wants more of what his Father's will is. And when you read in the book of John about Jesus prays this big prayer, and to sum it up, it sounds a little bit like this, and tell me if it sounds familiar. You are God. I've done all that you've required that they may know you. Jesus faced sin. Jesus faced Satan. Jesus took death on, and he died on the cross. He spread his hands out from, uh, from side to side and he took on death and, and he conquered it. He died for our sins. He died that we may live in him and he took it all on and three days later he came bursting out of the grave and we're going to sing this song in a little while. It says, Jesus, then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. He came bursting out of the grave with your freedom in hand. And back to 2 Corinthians 2.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we face opposition, what we do is we pray. We pray to God. And we acknowledge God. And, and, and then at that moment, it, it becomes less about the things that we're facing and more about what Jesus has already faced and conquered. And, and we, we follow in that example of not, uh, not my will, but yours. God, I'm your servant. And I'm going to let you, uh, or I'm not going to let you, I'm going I'm to use this, this fear of opposition, these things that you're doing, I'm going to use this to proclaim Jesus so that others may know who you are. And we're to live free, that others may come to know who Jesus is. Amen? Man, I burned through my notes really fast. <laughs> so we're going to pray, and then we're going to worship God, and uh, I think Chris is going to handle communion for us today. Father God, thank you for today. I thank you for your amazing grace, and I just thank you for the work that you did on the cross, God, so that we don't have to live as captives, God, to our sin, to our shame, to our doubts, to our anxiety, God, that we can live free, God, that we can live free so that we can proclaim the good news of Christ to others. I thank you for bringing everybody here, God, and speaking in and through me today, God, and I just pray you'd continue to, to transform hearts here, God, so the people proclaim the good news of you. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That's my wallet. Oh yeah, we got...